Because what business really is, is about solving somebody's problem and getting some money for making their problem go away. That, that's all it is. It's very, very simple. Uh, very simple. And, and so, uh, you know, you have to understand that if you can identify people with problems and you've got a way of making those problems go away, uh, people will engage you to help them make problems go away. So if you've got a lawsuit, you get a lawyer, problem goes away. Uh, if you've got uh, a medical problem, go to a doctor. A lot of times, not all the time, problem goes away. And so you really have to uh, be able to solve problems that people have. If you're an accountant, uh, tax time, you go to the accountant, they do the tax return, that problem goes away. And everything, you got a, a plumbing problem. Every single thing in our life requires somebody to help us make a problem go away. And a lot of people are not clear about what problem they solve. If you can't answer the question, what problem do you solve? You could never be successful no matter what. And that's a very significant shortcoming that a lot of people deal with. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, I just had a very interesting interview with Joel Block, very successful venture capitalist, a real estate investor, really started as an accountant, but left and discovered that he didn't really like what he was doing. Has some amazing parts of wisdom, very powerful story about how we can be successful in life. And also he's going to live, I'm going to leave it for you to listen to the show, but he has some interesting comments around the concept in this little item called money. So uh, please enjoy that. Now, before we get into the show, CRG is expanding and growing our offering so that we can serve people like yourself better. So after a lot of effort and work over the last year, we've launched our very first e-course. So this course is our full day personal style indicator, why are you more like me course has been converted into a online course that you can take 24 seven anytime. Now the course is available with the personal style indicator assessment comes with it. And it's interesting, I just actually got a Facebook post last night said, you know, this is the most transformational assessment uh, that I've ever taken. But now you're going to actually get me on video for over five hours where we take and convert our full day workshop on how to build credibility and readiness and willingness to change and understanding personality and what is it and why is it so important to know it. And the other part of it that we're going to talk about is whole new definitions of introversion and extroversion and why we believe most people actually have it wrong and what that means, not from an arrogant point of view, but really doing a disservice to everybody out here. If you think that extroversion has to do with you liking people, that is not our definition at all. We also will teach you how to read and observe others in how to build relationships with others quicker and faster through a three-step process that we teach in this e-course called translating, suspending, and style shifting. The other one is, is that in the course, we really help you to understand yourself so that you can go to the next level. We are excited about this. It's been a long time coming, but now anybody anywhere can get it. And uh, now I'm not sure when you're listening to this podcast, but of course it gets posted and it could be, uh, you could be a year later that you're listening to this introduction. But we right now have a special, we discounted it by 50%. 
so that so it's only 147 and that includes the $45 assessment with that so really you it's only like 99 bucks that you're paying for the course which is like nothing for six hours is that it will transform your life and you know if you're listening to this later on the regular price is 297 which is way you know like amazing value just in itself at a regular price so we look forward to many of you joining us in that uh, take advantage of that go to the crgleader.com site look under uh, products and under the e-course why aren't you more like me now here we are we're ready in the sos to enjoy our show with joel block really an expert around life principles and strategies and money Well, each week we want to be able to inspire you in different parts of your life. And today is no exception. I mean, this is an individual today that we have, we're just privileged to have Joel Block on our show. And Joel's an expert around money. So welcome to the show, Joel. Hey, Ken, thanks very much. How are you? Uh, excellent, excellent. Now, you've been a professional speaker for uh, many decades. I shouldn't say many, but several. Uh, so, as part of the show and what we like is we like people to get to know your journey, your story, Joel. So let's just kind of scroll back before you were sort of successfully in this space and helping people sort of manage venture capital and all these different things. Uh, where were you? Where did you grow up? Where was sort of a, the beginning point for you? Well, I started in the CPA business. So I worked at Pricewaterhouse, the giant accounting firm. I was doing tax work in the, uh, in, the in the middle of the 80s. And, you know, at a big firm like that, they expose you to a lot of really cool things. So, uh, you know, among among things, you know, this is uh, uh, this is the time of the year when the Academy Awards take place. I was uh, I was involved in counting ballots for the Academy Awards in 1986. Uh, I did wow. tax returns for uh, some very high level political officials in the government. Uh, I um, I did that. Uh, tax work for tax shelters, windmills, and ultimately ended up in doing real estate deals. And, and I liked the real estate one so much, I quit the firm and went into the real estate business, not doing tax work, but doing the deals that I was actually doing tax work for. Now, in the real estate business, were you the one who was flipping? No, it wasn't. It wasn't even flipping. Is we were um, we were raising money and buying apartment buildings and shopping centers. So you know what I saw these guys doing was raising money and then buying real estate with it. The problem that many flippers have is that they just don't have enough capital to do a lot of business. I mean, they'll do a little bit. Uh, they'll do a house or two or maybe even three, but they really never get economies of scale. They never really get up and running because they just don't have good control of their capital. And that's just always a big problem. Hmm. So then you, were you personally vested in these projects as an investor then? Always. You, all, you always have to, and, you know, when I was young, it was, it was small amounts. As I got uh, further along, it, it got bigger. And so, but you always, you always have to put a little skin in the game. The worst thing you could do when an investor says, are you uh, in this deal too? The worst answer would be, oh, no, no, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Now, Joel, I want to skip back even further about where you grew up. And so you were born where? We're sort of I'm, I grew up in Los Angeles. So you've stayed in California for most of your life, then? Yeah, I, I live. Uh, I live with my wife about uh, thirty miles from where I grew up. Wow! So you're really just transplanted yourself a, a great distance away. 
Yeah. Well, in Los Angeles, um, it's, that's not a great distance. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. So when you were growing up, what was really leading you to go into this sort of accounting space? Like in high school, what were you thinking? You know, what were, what were some of the things, you know, we talk a lot about on our show about purpose and direction and how people sort of find this channel in their life that works for them. How, how did that come about in your teenage years? You know, uh, I, I did not have really any direction. I just kind of um, was kind of going with the flow. Uh, I knew that, you know, I had to go to high school. I, I knew from my family I had to go to college. I didn't really get a lot of direction. Neither of my folks had either been to college, but they wanted me to go to college. So uh, they couldn't really give me a lot of direction. Uh, you know, and I just kind of, I went, I, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I started at UCLA, uh, but I, I, because I didn't have any direction, I was living at home with my folks uh, and commuting. The commute was terrible. Uh, I didn't really make any friends at UCLA because I was, uh, I, I would try to get off campus just as fast as I could uh, mm -hmm. to beat the traffic. So I really didn't have a good college experience. Uh, and so after about a year and a half, almost two years, I quit the school and ended up enrolling in a, uh, a small, different university, another California public university, uh, a little bit closer to home. And, and so I kind of got reorganized. I still didn't have a major. I didn't really have any direction. And at the time, I had a girlfriend, and uh, he had an accounting. The, the dad had an accounting uh, practice. And, and I thought that was kind of interesting. And he said, you know, how do you like it? How would you like to work here? I said, gee, that sounds just great. And he goes, all you got to do is marry my daughter. So, you know, and get an accounting degree, you know, so I, I started working on the accounting thing. And of course, the girlfriend didn't work out, but I, I did get to keep the, uh, the accounting degree. <laughs> and, I'm glad uh, that the, uh, they didn't require you to marry somebody to get. The no, no. So, you know, but uh, but he did give me some direction. So, you know, sometimes in life, uh, you know, I, I call these things turning points. You know, you, you know, an accidental thing happens to you that kind of pushes you in another direction. And if you stop and think about it. I would say most very successful people have had these turning points in their life where something happens, uh, they recognize it, and they go with it, mm. and, and that changes the trajectory of their life or their career. Well, it's interesting. That is exactly what happened to me, Joel. I had a, a chamber meeting, met the founder of the company that I now owned. I never knew him before. I was only at the meeting for an hour in that uh, meeting changed the trajectory for my whole life. So, it, you know, what are the odds? If I didn't go to that luncheon, if I didn't meet that person, then everything that I've done in the last 25 years would be mostly mute. Yeah, there, there's something uh, there's something funny about that. You know, I mean, I, I don't look at it in a religious way, but, you know, religious people could look at it one way, spiritual people could look at it one way. But you know what? At the very least, uh, something happened and you jumped on it, uh, you mm -hmm. know, whatever it was. And so it was a kind of a whole bunch of different factors, which are, is a very fascinating thing. For sure. And like we talked about before we got on the show that we were both philosophical. So, I mean, there's these things that we f reflect on in life. By the way, what did your parents do for a living? Uh, my mom was a homemaker and my dad um, worked in a meatpacking plant. Mm. Now, they were always supportive of their son. Is that, was it an environment that said, uh, you go for it, son, and we were... Yeah, well, you know, they, they, weren't, um, they weren't like from the self-help movement. You know, they didn't understand it that well, but, but they, they were supportive. They wanted me to do well. They wanted my sister to do well. Uh, they didn't really know how to help us to do well so much, but they wanted us to do well. 
Mm, so they, okay. they did the best they could with what they had, and you know, and that was a good thing. Great, great. So Joel, so we now can skip back to you are starting to do, you got out of the big firm, you're doing some real estate deals. How did you come across the people that you started to do these deals with? Like where did, where did they show up from? Well, you know, um, when I left Price Waterhouse, uh, you know, and, and it was kind of a situation where if I didn't quit, I was going to be fired for sure. I, I just, I just wasn't good at doing the tax work. Uh, I didn't have the patience to put the, the, the numbers in the columns properly. And that was in the days when you had to use, uh, you know, ledger paper and a pencil. So I, I just, my handwriting was sloppy. The dimes and pennies didn't line up properly and they would yell at me and, and I'm like, you know, what difference does it make? This company's going to be out of business in six months. And, you know, I, looking back, they were right. I was wrong. But I, I wasn't a good soldier. It just wasn't a fit for me. And uh, I was destined to be uh, independent as an entrepreneur and uh, make things happen by myself. And um, so I, I left the firm. And uh, within, six, within three months of leaving the firm, I uh, had brokered my first property. It turned out to be, a, I got involved in a pretty large deal, a pretty good size apartment building, and I got a, a, I got a fraction of the commission, and, and my fraction of the commission was just about a year's pay. And so I knew I was doing the right thing by leaving the firm. And, and so in the course of that transaction, I met another guy, and you know, the guy said, you know who's making all the money, don't you? I said, yeah, it's the guys that own the building. It's not us. And he goes, you want to try and buy a building? I said, yeah. You know, I said, I said, I know some things about this because I just did all this tax work for all these guys. And he said, well, gee, I, I know a lot about the property management side. Why don't we uh, do this together? And we went and we found a building and we cold called a bunch of doctors and got 22 guys to put up 7,500 bucks a piece. And we did our first little deal and then we did another little deal and another little deal. And next thing you know, we, we own some real estate. Well, uh, congratulations. Now, Joel, what you're also saying is you are gifted at sales. I, you know, I, I will tell you, Ken, if there's one skill, listen, I was trained in accounting, but if there's one thing that I value, I give up everything else except for my selling skills. And, and my dad, my dad was a seller. Now he sold meat, which is totally different. I'm, I sell invisible things, you know, just things that are uh, conceptual, which is a, a different level. But it, um, but my dad was a great seller and he was a persistent seller. And, and I certainly got the gene. Mm. What would you say to the people listening to the show and the SOS family here uh, where they, they really don't see sales in a positive light? You know, to me, well, first of all, I'll tell you that uh, to me, I think being called a salesperson is the greatest compliment that you can, that you can give someone. And, and there's several pieces to it. Number one is you have to have an offer that somebody can say yes to. It can't be a one-sided offer. It can't be a bad offer. It's got to be an offer that somebody could say yes to. The second thing is that so once you have a good offer or a good product that you can offer into the marketplace, then you have to make sure that you know, you're solving people's problems. Because what business really is, is about solving somebody's problem and getting some money for making their problem go away. That, that's all it is. It's very, very simple. Uh, very simple. And, and so uh, you, know, you have to understand that if you can identify people with problems and you've got a way of making those problems go away, uh, people will engage you to help them make problems go away. So if you've got a lawsuit, you get a lawyer, problem goes away. Uh, if you've got uh, a medical problem, go to a doctor, 
a lot of times, not all the time, problem goes away. And so you really have to uh, be able to solve problems that people have. If you're an accountant, uh, tax time, you go to the accountant, they do the tax return, that problem goes away. And every, you got a, a plumbing problem. Every single thing in our life requires somebody to help us make a problem go away. And a lot of people are not clear about what problem they solve. If you can't answer the question, what problem do you solve, you could never be successful no matter what. And that's a very significant shortcoming that a lot of people deal with. Mm-hmm. I think listeners, uh, Joel, what you've said there is it's so important for us to kind of anchor ourselves on that, is that if you're not clear about what problem you solve, then how could you communicate what you do and how you serve people? You know, it's funny, uh, you, you recap that perfectly. Uh, there are so many people who are not successful and they think it's because they're not good salespeople, they think they don't have a good product, they think this, they think that. But you know, what I say to people is just what you said. If you can't clearly explain what you do, how can you expect anybody to give you any money? So you need to get crystal clear uh, about what it is you do and, and how you do it and who you do it for. And, and how you get paid and how everything works. If you aren't clear about that, then then there's no chance that you'll ever be, ever be successful. Mm, mm. So important, so important. Now, I want to skip back for a minute, a minute, Joel. How did you come up with the courage to leave, um, you know, the accounting firm to go on your own? Now, you talked about you were about to get fired, and I get that. We have an, <laughs> we have an entrepreneurial assessment, and one of the one of the criteria or what we call it success factors is that usually highly successful entrepreneurs sometime in their life have either got fired or quit just before they were. So where did you get the courage at your age to kind of like step out on your own and leave that security blanket? Well, I'll tell you, I think it takes a lot less courage when you're 25 than when you're 45. But, uh, you know, I, I go and, uh, they, they said to me uh, on this engagement, we were, my job was to convert four tax returns. We, we were converting the books and records of 500 partnerships, and I had to do four tax returns every single day. And one day, uh, you know, the, the boss came in and said, Block, you're not uh, working hard enough. I go, what do you mean? I go, I'm working 10 hours a day. They go, the other guys are working 12. And I go, this work is boring. All I'm going to give you is 10 hours. You want to give me some better work? I'll give you 12. I'll give you whatever you want. But this work, 10 hours, that's all you get. And he goes, if you don't work more, I'm taking you off the job. And I said, if you don't take, if you take me off the job, I'm quitting the firm. So uh, they took me off the job and I went into the partner's office who was responsible for me. And I, I said to him, I, I said, look, it's just not working out here. And he goes, what are you going to do? I said, well, to answer your question, uh, I make 20 grand a year. This was in 1986. I'm making 20 grand a year. I could work at Nordstrom selling shoes and make 20 grand a year. So the money is not really a problem. I mean, it's, I was making so little money, it didn't really matter. And, and he said, you know, is there anything we can do to help you? I said, can you give me a month's pay so I get on my feet? And he said, yes. And, 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 you know, and I love, I really love that guy. I stayed friends with that guy for quite a long time. I got along better with the people who were older in the firm than the younger ones, you know, the, because mm-hmm. the two year boss is the one year guy. That's the way it works. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, but I, I got along better with the older people and that was it. Uh, you know, 
listen, I mean, my, my rent was very low. I had a little car payment and that's it. I didn't have any other obligations really in my life. So as you get older, it gets much more difficult. You got a family, you got a mortgage, insurance, health insurance, car insurance, you got a hundred things. Uh, you know, it, it becomes much more difficult to reorganize your life later. It doesn't mean you can't do it. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, but it is more difficult later than earlier. Mm, mm. Uh, much appreciated. Uh, yeah, I get that. When you're younger, you <laughs> you can take on the world, uh, though sometimes people kind of get trapped. We see that happen, right, Joel, where they get into a job, they dislike it, but they don't have the courage to leave it to go elsewhere. So You know, just, I, I don't know. I, I just, the nature of my personality, if I don't like something, I don't stick around. I, I just, that's just how, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty clear about that. You know, life is short. And uh, maybe it's about being selfish. Maybe it's, uh, you know, I, I don't exactly know how to describe it. But, uh, you know, but that just is how it works for me. Well, Joel, we have a word we use. Instead of calling ourselves self-centered, we call ourselves self-honoring. So, I mean, the greatest contribution that you can make is when you're in the zone, when you're in a place that you can feel that you are contributing at the highest level. But that also requires meaning on your part. And if the meaning's not there, if the connection's not there, then engagement's going to go down. And we know all the numbers, and that's our level. That's our expertise. Is, you know, why is the engagement so low? Because most people, or many people, pardon me, Joel, haven't made the decisions like you did. Just kind of move on to where you are called or where the assignment is or whatever we want to uh, call it. But you moved on. So here you, you know, are. You're, go ahead, Joel. For those kind of people... Uh, I look at it, I think it's kind of sad because number one, they never end up being top performers because you can never be a top performer at something that you don't like that much. Uh, you know, I mean, the truth is that if you love what you do, it's not work, you know, that's what they always say. And, mm. and, and I believe in that. And if you love what you do, you're going to tend to be much better at it. And, you know, I, I love what I do. I love the things that I do. And that makes me good at them. And if I would have stayed in that environment, uh, you know, I listen, I, I would have made good money. I mean, it would have been great. And I would have had a lot of security and I would have, you know, had kind of taken, I, I wouldn't say that was the easy road because it's not an easy road, but, um, you know, but at the same time, uh, I, I just know that if I had done that, it wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have worked out that great. Mm, mm. Well, just encouragement to everybody listening that if you're thinking about a shift to consider that, you know, plan, plan it out, know where you're going. But at the same time, don't trap yourself there forever. So, Joel, now you're, you're in doing these real estate deals. You're starting to kind of grow. What happened after that? Well, um, so I meet this guy. We, we did this brokerage deal. Uh, we had a discussion and said, you want to, you know, you want to try and buy some properties? We did. So for the next three, four years, we, uh, we bought a total of eight properties together. And then the, the economy changed. And, and so it just sort of, you know, stopped working. And, um, and I fell into a venture capital transaction, which is, you know, instead of raising money to buy real estate, it was a matter of raising money to start a business. Uh, me and another guy in 1990 were sitting around talking about uh, the stock market. And this is a technology guy and technology people were kind of brand new at that time. Uh, and he said, can you help me learn the stock market? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'm happy to. Just here's what you do. Uh, here's some stocks at the, you know, every day, uh, look in the paper and get their prices. This is in 1990. And uh, at the end of the week, uh, give me a call and we'll uh, talk about them, how they did. 
And a couple of days later, the guy sends me a fax with my name at the top, my stocks down the side, and the prices of my personally selected stocks right next to them. And I get this like three days in a row. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is a cool thing. So I call him up. I said, where's this coming from? And he said, well, just for fun, he put it in the computer. He thought it would save time. And I said, man, this is a really cool thing. I said, I think every investor in America would like to have this. I said, you want to work on this together? I said, if so, I said, I got a little money. I said, let's get an office. Let's get to get working on this. And, and he starts working on it. And I went out and I went to the uh, fax manufacturer uh, trade show in 1991. And I uh, went to about 30 booths in there and I showed them this little piece of paper. And I said, we have software for fax machines. We can make fax machines do really cool things. And I'm not kidding, Ken, this talk about persistence, 30 guys in a row patted me on the head and they said, look, you look like you're a really nice kid. Now get the hell out of here. Mm. And they, they just, you know, they were interested in selling fax machines. They didn't want something that would make their fax machine perform better. That would make it more user friendly. That would make it more useful for their customers. They just want, it, it was so, so short sighted. But anyway, so I get back. Uh, a little discouraged, but I brushed myself off and I started calling newspaper companies. And I said, listen, I came up with a different story this time. I said, we can deliver a personal newspaper to each and every one of your customers every single day. And I made that pitch to about 30 or 40 newspapers until I finally found one that was knocked over by my pitch. And they said, we need to get you into this office here right away. We need you to come in here right away and show it to all of us. We want to see it. So I go to their office and I show it to them. We didn't even have a business plan. And they loved the idea so much that they gave me uh, $10 million. And um, now most of it was advertising credits. Uh, we, they gave us as much cash as we needed, but most of it was credits. And, and we started this business. And the reason that they did that, we didn't know at the time, but the reason they did that is that they had some intel in 1992 when that happened, that there was some telephonic thing that was about to happen that was going to take over the newspaper industry. So, you know, they didn't know what the telephonic thing was. And of course, the telephonic thing ended up being the internet, but they wanted to get their hands on any telephonic thing they could to protect themselves against what might happen. So for anybody who uh, knows anything about uh, business, raising money, the entrepreneur business, there are two kinds of capital you can raise. There's uh, financial capital, which is uh, somebody just gives you money to they put in your business, or like a bank is financial capital. Or the second kind is called strategic capital. So when this newspaper company gave me strategic capital, uh, they gave me capital. That capital was strategic capital because I was going to be helping them strategically with their business. So they didn't just want the rate of return on the money. They wanted some extra return that they were going to get from being attached to us. And, and, you know, from my perspective, they were strategic investors because they brought resources that were much more valuable beyond just the money. Like the Shark Tank TV show, uh, most of those sharks are strategic investors. In fact, they get a little bristly when you just ask them for the money and you don't want their opinion. You know, if you just want money go get it from somebody else, but if you want their expertise, you want their teams, you mm -hmm. want their, their ecosystem and infrastructure, then, uh, then they're great investors. And those are called uh, strategic investors. So, um, I got that. I ran that company for the next, 
uh, you know, four or five years and, and actually locked down some really, really big deals. Like the first deal I did was so big that they, the, uh, the, the big company got all their cash back in six months. So, uh, you know, I'm just, I, I went out and I just sold, sold, sold. I flew all over the country, everywhere you could think of. Well, now, Joel, I think it's very, really important to, to just take a breath here about how persistent you had to be to get your first sale and, and how many rejections you got before that happened. Yeah. Yeah. You know, somebody, uh, somebody asked me, you know, one time, how did I stay so persistent? You know, what did I do? And I, 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 the answer was almost embarrassing. You know, and and I guess you're a psychologist, psychiatrist type person. Maybe you can answer this better than I can. But what I said was, you know, every time somebody would say no, I think to myself, this guy's a total idiot. They're, They're just an idiot. They don't, they don't get this at all. I have to find somebody smarter. That's going to understand what we're talking about. And, now I don't do that in every aspect of my life, but this was an advanced concept. Mm-hmm. And really, I, I really, I'm telling you, these people at the fax companies, they, they were so short-sighted that they really couldn't see beyond their own nose about what was possible. And, and what ended up happening to fax machines, of course, they, they became practically extinct. So, uh, you know, and I finally found some people that uh, where my idea resonated and, and I just fell in love with these people because these were creative, big thinkers. They were visionary people. They respected uh, my ideas. They, they appreciated the uh, value that I brought to the table and the value that my partner, the technology guy brought to the table. And, and it was a, just a brilliant relationship. In fact, uh, we ended up selling our company to that big company uh, after some years, uh, which was pretty good. And, uh, and I'm still friends with some of these people 20 something years later. Hmm. So it was a magnificent relationship. Uh, you know, I, I hope you don't think it was overly arrogant how I used to think, but that that's how I got myself through my day. Well, if you think about it, Joel, in not to answer the question, but just sort of respond to what you're saying there is, you know, many people listening right now, you have people around you. I make this comment uh, all the time on our show, Joel, everybody today with social media has an opinion. Very few people have wisdom. And so with that uh, is if you go out and say, wow, I'm thinking about this business idea and I want to do it. And if you ask your friends and buddies, you know, most of them won't, they, they're not even there. They won't even get it. They won't get the concept. So you, for some way, everybody talks about resilience now, right, Joel? So that uh, you had this resilience and said that the idea was going to supersede people's opinions and that you knew that it had a future. You just needed to find like-minded individuals who would embrace that. I mean, everybody knows the Kentucky Fried Chicken, Colonel Sanders story. I mean, nobody liked his recipe, you know, 60 or 70 or 80 later, whatever it was, living in his car. So most not most, but many successful entrepreneurs have been through what you've been through. So it's a, it's a perfect example, Joel, that persistence, as long as it's a legit idea, is, is required. Yeah, and, and every one of us gets that persistence from a different place. We all get our energy from a different place. Uh, you know, some people are motivated by the money. Some people are motivated by their idea coming to fruition. So there's a lot of different ways that it happens. But uh, but we all have to be able to get through our day 
And, you know, listen, not every single entrepreneurial idea, you know, is, uh, you know, is, is reinventing fire. You know, I mean, it's, they're not all at that level, but, uh, you know, I mean, whether you, if you're, let's say you're starting a Subway sandwich shop, doesn't matter. I mean, you still, uh, you have to do what you got to do to get people to come in and know who you are and, uh, eat your food and give you some money for that, you know, and solve the problem that they have of being hungry. Mm, Absolutely. Now, Joel, if we can shift gears a little bit. You have all the success and you're doing, what are some of the business and life principles that you really have lived by that you would share with the listeners today that they could act on as soon as this show is over? Well, you know, um, it's changed over time. You know I mean? As I've matured, some of my ideas about things have matured. Uh, that's why I kind of think, you know, we grade politicians on things they did when they were 20 and, and now they're 50, uh, you know, people, mm-hmm. people really change. Uh, forget, forget about, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, their, their attitudes. Cause sometimes attitudes kind of do stay kind of the same, but just the way we see the world changes. My opinion of something 20 years ago, my opinion about it now may or may not be similar just because of my life experience. And, but one of the things I'll tell you is you, number one, you have to get all the parties on the same side of the table. Everybody's got to be on the same side of the table. So if I win, you win. It's not fair for me to get everything and you to get nothing. And then I ask you to help me so I can get more stuff and you don't get anything. And a lot of relationships are just completely out of balance, whether they're uh, work relationships, personal relationships. Now, here's the important thing. Life is a seesaw. You don't, uh, you don't always, uh, have 50, 50, like it could be 90, 10, one day, it could be 50, 50, another day and 10, 90, another time. And that's fine. That works perfectly fine. But in general, on balance, life has to be that, you know, that you're feeling good about what you get and I'm feeling good about what I get. So if I charge you a certain price for whatever it is that I sell you to make whatever problem you have go away, that you feel good about what you got and what you had to give up to get that. And I feel good about what I got and what I gave up to uh, get that. And that really is the name of the game. Mm. Well, if we think about it, you know, when 2008 and you're a money guy and the crash came, you know, it was a value system. You're talking about maturity, but in there it was take, take, take and greed rather than making sure that everybody's was being taken care of as part of those deals. Yeah. And that, um, it kind of went out of control. They weren't properly supervised. The government, uh, kind of dropped the ball. Uh, and after the fact, hardly anybody took responsibility for this. They just pointed fingers, blamed other people, uh, you know, and, and unfortunately, uh, the people who did all the damage really didn't suffer most of the consequences. There's a lot of other people who suffered consequences. And that really is, uh, that's what makes people so mad is that we're, we're out of balance is that there were people that uh, got off scot-free and they didn't suffer consequences and people that really uh, didn't do anything wrong uh, ended up in a problem. Now, I'm not saying everybody didn't do anything wrong because uh, people who refinanced their house uh, 20 times and you know kept taking money out like it was an ATM and then financing parties and weddings and boats and vacations, uh, you know, when the, uh, when the market crashed, and the value of their house dropped and they ended up losing their house, uh, they were irresponsible all the way along. So they were complicit in the problem, but there were, there were other people that really were not complicit and, and were penalized. Mm, mm. Uh, for sure. And the environment certainly was 
feeding that sort of greed or whatever you want to call it. Now, with that transition, there's a great segue. You know, we're talking about strategies. You know, being an individual, and we don't go here very often in our show, but let's talk about it today for the last sort of eight minutes we have. And that is you really have, you have some principles around money and money management for both business and personal. You know, share what you would advise to your best friend on, you know, where people are getting it wrong, where can they get it right? Well, let me, let me, let me start with the most very basic concept and, and tell you why money's complicated. Money is terribly, terribly complicated. Uh, most people just think that, uh, that money is like some green paper in their pocket and, uh, at least here it's green, your, your place is a little different, but you know, it's some green paper in your pocket and you put it in the bank and you know, and then you do your bank reconciliation at the end of the month and, and you're good to go. But the truth is that money is terribly complicated and here's why, you know, Ken, th- just play along here for a second. If you took a hundred dollar bill out of your pocket and you put it in the bank, what would the bank balance say? hundred dollars. Exactly. Okay. Now. Let's say the startup start again from scratch. Let's say that I loaned you a hundred dollars and then you took that hundred dollar bill and you put it in the bank. What would your bank balance say? It would say a hundred dollars. Okay. So both of them say a hundred dollars. In one case, the money's yours. In another case, the money is not yours and you can't tell the difference. Can you? Mm-hmm. So the bank balance. That's why money is so complicated. So, you know, step one, you see all these people standing in front of fancy cars, fancy houses. You have no idea if it's even their house or car. Maybe they went to a car dealership, took a picture real fast, and then moved on. You know, money is very, very deceptive. That's the first thing you have to understand about it. And, you know, just because the check says something, just because the bank balance says something does not mean it's true. Mm. And you have to understand that because I have people tell me all the time that, you know, the checks never lie. Uh, you know, if the checks is a hundred grand, you're getting a hundred grand. That is not necessarily true because you might get a hundred grand and then have 90,000 of expenses and you make 10. So, you know, it just, it, money's very confusing. And that's the very first thing I want people to take away is that there's real logic to why it's complicated and confusing. And you really have to be able to uh, kind of divorce yourself from that complexity. Mm. So then what do I need to do to, to filter through that confusion and, and be proactive in this space? Well, you know, uh, so number one, just knowing that by itself is really important. But here's another important thing. And this is, uh, this is a funny thing to say, but it's, it's always true. And that is that when it comes to money, everything's rigged. The whole world, the whole system, everything is rigged when it comes to money. And rigged means that it favors one person over another person. And here's the way that that happens. And if you're a consumer, you probably just have no idea that this is even happening. But companies establish business rules and the rules, you have to follow the rules in order to do business with those companies. And those rules are designed to favor those companies. That's the way it works. So let's go to Las Vegas. And in Las Vegas, you go to the crap table and you put some money down or you go to roulette and you pretty much know that nine times out of 10, you're probably going to lose money when you go to Las Vegas because they have the edge and that edge, uh, it's not rigged. It's just, it's, it's called the house advantage. They have an advantage and we're okay with that because we know about it. 
But what about the way banks clear checks? What about the way airlines issue refunds or allow you to reuse tickets or rebook uh, changes? What about the way insurance companies pay claims? You follow me? I mean, every one of these companies has a set of rules that are not necessarily favorable to the consumer. What about the way cable companies make refunds or, or anybody else? So you have to understand that consumers are subject to the rules of other companies and those rules are always rigged in the favor of the company who makes the rules. So it's very important for any of your entrepreneurial listeners that you have to make the rules for your own business the way you want them to be. If you want to collect uh, 100% of the money in advance, then you need to say, I take payment in advance. If you say to somebody, uh, you know, listen, uh, whatever you want to do is okay with me, they go, well, all right, I'll just pay when you're done. Okay, I'm glad just to get the money. Mm -hmm. If that's your attitude, you're not going to be successful in business because, you know, somebody's going to take advantage of you. These rules have evolved to protect companies over time because they know they need those protections. And consumers need uh, need certain protections, and you just don't get them. So uh, if you're a business, you need to build business rules that uh, work for you. And they need to be fair. They can't be so egregious that consumers uh, are happy. Like in the United States, uh, when consumers aren't happy, a couple things happen. Number one, they go to Congress or they go to the government, and they ask for help. But more recently, consumers have this incredible power of social media where they can go online and they can say, this company is terrible, they mistreated me, they did this and this and this. And those companies frequently are forced to soften up their rules. So on the one hand, I, I work with little companies to help them to get their uh, business rules in place. But sometimes I'll work with bigger companies, like if I'm doing a keynote for a bigger company, I might help them to evaluate their business rules to make sure that they're customer friendly. Because if they're not customer friendly, they may end up taking, uh, taking a penalty that's even bigger than, than what the thing would have been if they would have just changed the rules around. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, you see that sometimes with airlines, somebody sits on the deck for about 12 hours, not allowed to get off the airplane, all the stuff that goes with that one. Yeah. You know, as frequent yeah. flyers, we've had those moments. So, Joel, if we're thinking about me personally, and we're down to four minutes or so left in the show, what are some sort of financial guidelines and rules or life rules that you, you like to share with uh, with the audience that they can embrace or consider? Well, you know, one of the principles that I operate by is that money follows expertise. And one of the reasons people frequently lose money when they invest is because they're just kind of taking a flyer. Everything is a flyer. They don't know what they're doing. They just throw some money at it and hope that it goes better. Well, hope is not a, is not a strategy, as they say. Mm. And, you know, I would be very, very careful that you're not just throwing, uh, you know, money into something and saying, I, I sure hope it works out. You have to really, you know, understand it. Like if you're, if you understand something, the likelihood of you being successful with it is much greater. And you should try to focus your energies, your investment energies, your business energies, uh, even your life energies into things that you understand better than other things. That doesn't mean you can't learn new things. Uh, but before you jump in with both feet and start investing money in other resources, uh, you know, maybe you need to get smart and do some studying or need to do some research and get up to speed on how things work. I just feel strongly that if people 
uh, would follow their expertise, they would do an awful lot better in all of their endeavors. Mm, uh, Agreed. Now, before we get into the last segment, uh, Joel, how can people find out more about what you do and, you know, maybe a company wants to bring you in as a speaker? Sure. So how can they source you and find out about you? They can go to my website at joelblock.com and they can uh, read about me. They're actually, uh, you know, our our syndication and hedge fund symposium, uh, which is twice a year that shows people how to raise capital, uh, these real estate fix and flippers and other people. Uh, That's that's in that environment. You can just learn about Bullseye Capital, my my primary company. So, you know, you can learn about a lot of things about us and see what we do, and, and then you can reach out to us if you want to talk to us. Now, I understand, Joel, you also have a book. What's the name of it and where can they get that? It's, it's for entrepreneurs typically, and it's called Stop Hustling Gigs and Start Building a Business. 101 ways to uh, basically you know, turn your business into a money-making machine. Most of the time, what I notice a lot of entrepreneurs do is they jump from gig to gig to gig to gig. They'll do this deal, then they'll run around, they'll find the next deal. And what you really want to do is you want to try to find a way to create some rhythm or some regularity to your revenue streams. And most entrepreneurs have a hard time with that. This book is really designed to help you to think about money, sales, negotiating, uh, strategic planning, and all the things that you need to do to be successful in your business uh, and be a little better at it. Because I really believe in the entrepreneur business and I want you to be successful so you can take care of your family and, and, and have a great life and do all the things that's great and really take advantage of this great business. Mm. Stop hustling gigs and start building a business. And they can get that on Amazon or your site? Yeah, Amazon, my site, both. There's a link there. So, Joel, I really appreciate you being on the show today. So, to wrap up the show with you, what would be the last bit of wisdom that you would want to share with the listeners today? On life, on anything, open, open mic for you. Wow. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, uh, be genuinely concerned about other people. Be genuinely interested in other people. I think if you're genuinely interested in what they have to say, what they have to, what they want to do, and you're interested in their opinion, uh, we all stand to grow a lot. No matter how successful you are, there are people who know things that you don't know. And be open to what other people have to say. Because other people have different perspectives, different insights, and different people from different communities, different backgrounds, different uh, colors, religions, whatever, wherever they're from. Different people have different things of value to bring to the table. And, and I would say it would be a very valuable, uh, very valuable thing for our society in general to start to value what other people have to say. Mm. So true. Uh, today's world is divisive, and if you don't agree with me, then I'm not going to listen to you. Well, so it's, it, it, it's short-sighted, and it's uh, silly, and it's simple, uh, and that is not helpful for us in the long run. Mm, for sure. Well, Joel, thanks very much for spending the time with us today. Well, listen, Ken, thanks for having me on, on your show. Uh, you're welcome. Well, SOS listeners. Joel Block, go to his site, find out more, and Joel has a lot of success in his background, so you want to learn from him, just as he talked about. He has some insights for you, uh, some ideas, and so, you know, when you think about life, 
as we always say, is that you want to be in the zone where you take a step of courage to go to the next level, that you are here for a reason, that you have something to contribute no matter who you are and what you're doing. And if you're not doing what you love right now, then your job is to find out what you love and then start doing it. We thank you for listening and giving us the most valuable thing that you have, and that is your time. If you like what we're doing, share, pass it on, let others know about SOS. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.